Hi, and welcome to the IdeaSpring Capital Podcast, a show where we discuss the latest trends in technologies, startups, and tech entrepreneurship in India. This conversation between Nagan and Doraswamy, the managing partner of IdeaSpring Capital, and Sanjay Anandram, a venture partner with Seed Fund, is all about how enterprise startups can find product market fit and go to market. We will also cover sales and marketing strategies, how to effectively use customer feedback, and a whole lot more. Sanjay, in your mind, when do you know that a startup has hit a product market fit? You know, uh, this is one of those odd things that every startup entrepreneur and founder needs to worry about because product market fit is such a used, overused, abused term Mm. that there is no formal definition of what it is. Mm. It just so happens that you know it when it happens. You know it when you see it. What that essentially means is that your ability to sell to customers Mm. becomes ridiculously simple and friction-free, which means customers know what to buy, how to buy, how to pay, how Mm. to consume. You know that the product that you're shipping out the door is exactly what is it that they want. So you don't need to keep tweaking the product anymore to meet the requirements of the target group. So Mm. that's the time that you know that you've really hit the Mm. product market fit and then you start seeing the reflection of that in the way the sales take place. And typically, hence, how many such customers... You, you have seen that you have to have worked with to get that feeling that yeah, it, it, it is at the point where people are willing to pay for it and the product is supposed to do what it is supposed to be doing and solving customers' problems. Again, uh, you know, Nagaran, there is no hard and fast rule for this. There is no formula. There is no objective way to figure this out. Mm-hmm. It varies for each company. It varies upon the kind of company. It varies upon the customer segment. So if you were to say that, you know, many people spend a lot of time being perpetually in beta and that is the time they're essentially trying to figure out what the product market fit is. Then there are others who will launch the product, reiterate their offering and keep doing that on a regular basis till they reach a point where there is zero friction from the standpoint of development, shipping, the consumption by the customer, etc. So it's very hard to say how many customers you would need. And the trick, therefore, is to be always in contact conversation with your customer so all the relevant feedback is adequately channeled back into the company for people to start making the appropriate changes whether it's on the design whether it is on the packaging whether it is on the way you sell whether it's the way you market etc so it varies from company to company for example if you're selling to a very large enterprise trying to get a product market fit is going to be dramatically different than if you were trying to sell to a small and medium business right so that number varies frankly it can be as low as you know five or six customers if it's large enterprise versus you know getting several hundred customers the other thing you'll notice is that companies that have raised significant amounts of money and have large numbers of customers mm. you know running into the thousand they still have not figured out the precise product market fit mm. because the market itself is a dynamic variable and the product needs to continuously keep evolving Correct. to fit the need of that particular market so in my mind therefore it's a continuum that at any point t on mm. that entire line at that instant question you should ask is am i being able to do stuff in a friction-free manner. So I agree with you that product market market fit is a continuum, right? Uh, but even assume that at some point you, you tend to feel that, okay, now I want to start scaling, right? Because at, at beyond that point, you know that you can go after the market. So I, I would like to get more into, at, at that stage,
reach? What were some of the initial steps you would want to take both from a sales and marketing perspective? Because until you reach this point, sales and marketing is not very, very important because you're still trying to understand who your customer is. But once you know that, you want to get on with the plan of sales and marketing because you want a wider reach. So what are the first steps you would think that one has to take? Right. So, what, uh, you know, a startup is always in search of a appropriate business model that helps deliver the product to the right market. And after it's gone through the initial few steps, it's figured out that, yes, right now it's a friction-free, which means I don't have to work on the product. There is a natural pull that is occurring from the customer side, which is my marketing is working. My salespeople don't have to spend too much time trying to explain the product, the benefits and so on. That is the time when you actually want to start scaling because now you've got the model in place. You've got the right product. You know who you have to sell to. You know at what price and you know what benefits to essentially talk about. So now you want to really accelerate that whole process. So how would you accelerate it, right? And it depends on the model that you follow. If it's entirely something that you're going to be selling through a SaaS-based, zero-friction kind of customer interaction versus through a channel versus having salespeople, right? And Or you could have a combination of all three. Now, the point is that when you want to really scale this, the question you should be asking is right here is a customer segment. What are the adjacencies around this customer segment, right? One of the old sayings in the business is focus on a point, dominate it, and then grow in concentric circles. Mm. So what that means is that if let's say my first customer is a chemicals company, which is based in Western India, which is about, let's say, 500 crores in size, and they for some reason have bought my uh, HR software, which is a SaaS-based enterprise offering. Now, the question I should be asking is how many other companies exist that meet the similar criteria, which presumably means that they would have the same kinds of issues, meaning whether the same size, the same complexity, the same number of people, the kind of people that they have, whether it's blue collar, white collar, etc, etc. So all of that you would have done in trying to determine what the product market fit is. Once you've done that, then you look at other companies in that exact same space and you go after that. Then you look at adjacencies. What other businesses exist that display similar or are almost identical characteristics with regard to size, with regard to budget, with regard to usage condition, with regard to employees, with regard to their buying behavior, etc, etc. And that gives you the ability to start focusing your marketing efforts in trying to generate the leads, which then your inbound sales team can effectively convert into business. On the other hand, if you are following a model that is uh, direct sales, where you actually employ a field sales staff, there clearly the value of the deal has to play a very big role, which means that the cost of the sale should be a smaller proportion of the value of the contract. I cannot be selling a $100 product and have a salesperson who cost me $50,000 to sell that. So all of those factors will come into play as you evolve this. And that's the time that you would really want to step on the accelerator. Yeah, so that brings me to the next question on the pricing, right? So how dependent uh, is the st- are the strategies that you use on the pricing because you know you cannot obviously have the same sales or marketing strategies when the prices are very different and the prices are going to be different depending on whom you're selling to and what kind of product so how does one think about going about uh, the the building a strategy and then how dependent is it on the price of the product that you're trying to sell whether you want to build a direct sales channel channel partner partnership how do you decide that so it all depends therefore on who are you selling to in other words who's your customer and how do you reach that customer if the cost of reaching that customer 
customer is prohibitive that's the time you would want to think of having a self-help or a self-purchase kind of a model which is the lowest cost model thereafter you get to a channel model and the finally you need to have failed sales people these are the three ways that you would typically want to reach your customer but for that you need to know who the customer is and therefore you go back to uh, step 101 which is what is the problem I'm trying to solve and who finds this problem acute enough to write me a check now how much is a customer willing to pay me for solving that particular problem so all of this is part of the discovery phase and that goes into the defining of the product itself once that has occurred then comes the question if the customer is willing to pay me only hundred but the good news is that there are 100,000 such customers versus a customer is willing to pay me $100,000 but there are only 10,000 such people in the world then the entire strategy that you would adopt to take this particular product to the relevant target audience will change substantially right so that is the way you would think about it and once you figured out that this is indeed the target market this is the kind of price that I can hope to extract then what kind of sales strategy I adopt the kind of people I adopt the kind of marketing I adopt and the the support infrastructure I create, Mm. all of that will fall into place. As with everything else, it all starts with who's my customer. So the fundamental premise hence uh, should be like understanding your customer and then understand what problem you are trying to solve for them and how much they benefit from it so the costing will become dependent on, on that and post that put the strategies around that that's right that's, words, that's the message how much value do they see in your offering while typically every it's like every parent believes that their child is the best but beauty lies in the eye of the beholder so the customer has to appreciate the beauty of your offering and then figure out what that beauty is worth got so so moving on a little bit in terms of how this field has transformed with the emergence of social media how have have you seen because you have been looking at marketing and sales for quite some time now and I'm sure you have identified the stages that, that this entire field has gone through what has been the impact on social media in these two areas specifically because the way you reach out to people has, is very very different now from what you were capable of before right podcast webinars Facebook what you you name it so how have you seen this field transform? See, it used to be earlier that the only mode of communicating with your audience earlier was uh, either you have a face-to-face meeting or you pick up the phone and you schedule something or you put out an ad of some kind in print media. That used to be the case several years ago. With the advent of social media and everybody in a sense becoming a consumer as opposed to a buyer or a sophisticated user of technology products, uh, they're the means by which you reach your target audience has gone up significantly. Even if you were to sell to an enterprise today, the real issue is that the users in the enterprise are actually have become more like the average consumer because they have a smartphone. The smartphone has got apps on it and the way in which they they consume technology has changed. Earlier, it used to be only within a firewall, with a desktop and, you know, all the other infrastructure of the uh, enterprise, which the CIO used to control. Right now, you don't have that problem, right? Every person in the enterprise is effectively a consumer of the technology product. And also, not everything is housed in the enterprise. You go access from the cloud as well. Precisely. That has evolved. Precisely. So, therefore, the ways in which you would want to reach those people has to be in keeping with the way they consume technology. Today, for example, you know, if you have let's say LinkedIn for example right it's a fairly common thing for salespeople to use LinkedIn to find relationships and use LinkedIn very very effectively to reach out to customers 
to post articles, to create relevant discussion groups, to moderate comments, and so on. How do you influence analysts and, 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 and consultants is another big area. The third area that you would want to look at is, for example, hosting a webinar. Earlier, it used to be a real challenge. Now, depending on the kind of product, the kind of target group you're going after, what is the appropriate mechanism? For example, if I'm trying to sell a very high-end, uh, sophisticated technology product, the question then is, will a webinar be sufficient or is it a touch and feel and a really more involved kind of a sales setting that is appropriate for it? Uh, I could just or should I just release a white paper? How influential is a consultant going to be in making that sale happen? On the other hand, if my product is a low-touch product, it is in which case the user experience, the user interface is phenomenally effective, then all that a user has to do, let's say the CIO of a company, and if it's a small and medium enterprise, just takes out her credit card, swipes it, downloads my software, and within a matter of a few minutes, you know, she is operational. And what that means, therefore, is that the two extremes, the kinds of strategies you would adopt, the tools that you would employ is really a function of the kind of product that you have created for that specific target group. Understood. So, so hence, what, what we're saying is it is very, very important for startups to find out what segment they're in and then appropriately use the, the, the strategies both in terms of sales and marketing and make best use of what is available out there in terms of the networks, right? Yeah. Social social networks. Yes. Before we switch on to the next stage of a startup, which is the growth phase, I just one question on specifically since we are focusing on uh, enterprise uh, products today, the role of the product manager and and how important it is, and when does it become super critical that you really have a dedicated product manager to ensure that your your company is developing something that market needs. So you know, on day zero when you're just starting off, you don't typically have a product manager. You have somebody who is building the product. So this person is typically somebody who's a strong technology person who knows how to interact with customers to get initial feedback and design or architect the product to, so that it meets the market need. Subsequently, once the initial product design or the spec of version 1.0 is kind of in place, that is when you start thinking about two important functions both related to the product. One is the product manager, the one that you have talked of. The other is a product marketer. The product manager essentially works more with regard to the internal R&D engineering organization and dovetails that with what what feedback he or she receives from outside. The product marketer takes this product that has been defined and figures out how to position it in the outside world. How does it have a competitive positioning? What should the pricing be? What should the different product flavors be? What is the product architecture from a roadmap standpoint? In other words, how do I take the architecture and deploy it for different use conditions and create their set of specific benefits that accrue to different uh, target groups for the same product architecture. In other words, from the same product architecture, I can now create four or five different flavors, each of which services a different target group with a different set of benefits to which they resonate. So that is the job of the product marketer and what kinds of marketing messaging, the uh, means that they deploy, the tools that they use is very different than what the product manager uses. 
with us. The product manager is a critical function in as much as the product marketer is. And therefore, the product manager is the person who, in essence, defines what the product spec ought to be, keeping in mind the requirement of the market and being very conscious of the constraints and capabilities of the engineering and technology organization. Because, you know, if your engineering is not able to support it, obviously you cannot put requirements that are not able to be met quite easily. That's right. Switching gears onto this growth stage, right? I mean, my thought process is when companies enter into the growth stage, one of the key aspects that needs to be managed is sales relationships. Because I think that is what is going to really determine the success of the company beyond that because product has the ability and you can add more capabilities and benefits and features, but really sales uh, needs to kick in into high gear. So in the startups and in companies where you have seen um, sales relationships being managed very well, what are some of the key points that you have seen that they are they have implemented that is making them to have great sales? Yeah. So most important is that the senior leadership of the organization has to absolutely believe that nothing happens till sales happens. And in any organization, independent of the kind of product that gets built, the R&D technology group as a whole will contribute no more than 20 to 25% of the total cost and revenue base of the company. The balance all relates to sales, marketing, customer support, everything else. In other words, stuff that gets out of engineering and into the field. So close to about 70% plus is what is non-R&D, non-engineering. So that being the case, people need to understand that that is really critical. Therefore, if that is critical, what are the elements that I need to focus on to develop relationships? And there are different kinds of customers like we talked of a few minutes ago. Depending on your customer segments and the groups that you target, the nature of your relationships become critical. For example, if I'm selling, let's say, a $10 product, uh, which is, let's say, a monthly $10, which is, you know, translates to about $120 a year, and there are hundreds of thousands of small businesses, it is absolutely impossible to build relationships with each one of those customers. So therefore, the only way you build a relationship is entirely virtually. In other words, the quality of my user experience, the quality of my customer support, the information that is provided to them, the amount of Uh, social media based outreach that is done Uh, how ubiquitous is this product so that it's I whenever I want it I can access it consume it give feedback integrate it etc etc so that is one kind of relationship where you develop a very warm fuzzy equation with it for example Google right Google doesn't doesn't reach out to me and talk to me everything is done from behind the screen or multiple other entities like that the other cases where I'm actually I have people on the street who are actually making a sale happen where the product is worth let's say at least a quarter million dollars or, or higher let's say if somebody's selling a oracle uh, database for example right which is a million dollar plus deal i will necessarily need to have people who come and meet with the senior executives of the large enterprise and the important thing therefore is the entire idea of doing account management mapping the account figuring out the entire buying process 
who are the influencers, who are the people who are going to be critical to the using of the product, providing the feedback. Are there consultants involved? Is there a tendering process in the purchase? What is the sales cycle time? And a bunch of other issues. It becomes a science, not not exactly. as much as... A, Precisely. Yeah. So therefore, all of it has to be factored in. And then there are all kinds of tools that you do to essentially qualify the leads, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, etc., so that you can continuously monitor this and make sure that you don't lose the value that's been created by the front-end salesperson. On the other hand, if it's like I said, the first example that I took of a $10 per month kind of annuity business, which is a really low value product, in such a case, I don't need to worry about a lot of the buying process as such, except that it's got to be simple, it's got to be quick, and it's got to be easy, and which means it's got to be intuitive. I mean, if I see it, I must want to try it. And when I try it, it must work first time. It should not cost me a lot of money. It must not take a lot of my time. I should not have to write some code or embed some kind of script or do some work with my libraries. None of that. And that's why the design of that product has to be very different because there is no opportunity beyond that for you to reach the customer. It has very intuitive and then easy to use. Now, the other challenges that startups will have in their growth phase is uh, listening to the customers, right? You know, you also mentioned just now that how do you when when the number of customers increase it's very very hard but you know even if you're deploying your products virtually as well to listen to your customers and but we all know that you have to have a ear to the ground as to what your customers are talking about so how do you do it when you know we have like not very small segment of enterprise customers but there are a lot of users using it what do you do in those cases so one of the most important things that uh, companies do successful companies do is they learn two things. One is the art of listening to the art of having a conversation. In other words, what that means is I can only listen if my ears are there on every listening post that my customers have access to, which means every single social media outlet, every single uh, blog post, for example, and so on. They could write into the company. They could give feedback to my customer support people. They could be saying something to my inside sales phone team. There are multiple ways in which feedback is extracted. So as a culture, am I wanting to listen to what my customers are saying? For example, lots and lots of customer feedback is provided through multiple sources, but companies are not even listening at those points where customer feedback is available. For example, if I write about a bad taxi service on a travel site but I happen to be doing uh, uh, you know my business uh, well, on some other site and I'm not listening to this I miss out the feedback on say on my travel service which is a taxi but the feedback is provided on some other site which is say something like a travel uh, planning site so am I listening to it that's the first point second is the art of a conversation art of a conversation means that am I able to engage with a customer in other words it's not a one-way communication it's a two-way communication so how do I excite a customer enough a that they feel like they give wanting to give feedback once they give feedback is that feedback reciprocated with a thank you that a feedback has been acted upon or if there's any other appropriate response is that provided is there a follow-up to all of it so in effect that is one of the very important things particularly when you're looking at hundreds of thousands of uh, of customers and today you know you can automate all of this and this comes through where the customer support organization or or you have specific uh, department in the startup you have to do something new in the 
startup to start listening to these customers how does one normally so like i said it, it's a culture what that means is that everybody exists in that company because of the customer so whether it is the ceo who gets a feedback from a friend who he has met at a airport and says you know i tried downloading the software but thing didn't work or it is somebody calling into the uh, helpline or it is a blog post somewhere or it is somebody that has made a comment saying that this product doesn't compare as well with the competing products the question is there are multiple touch points the point therefore is as a culture am i listening do i want that feedback to come in and therefore everybody at all points of time across multiple touch points becomes the receptacle of feedback now the question is once that feedback has come in whether it's coming to the ceo it's come to the customer support helpline whatever where does it go who acts on it how does it get acted upon is there a follow up is there a oversight to ensure that follow up has happened is the customer happy is the process design that happens within the organization but it all flows from the culture and everything in all organizations ultimately flows from the top if the top is not concerned about it mm-hmm. it is not going to happen so and then i'm assuming that, assuming that uh, this will also come down to the product manager and the product marketing person right because those are the key gatekeepers uh, in my mind at least when you're building enterprise products to see how is the market perceiving something and what are we doing with what the market is telling us so that's the feedback that comes into the company through these multiple touch points once the feedback is obtained and it is collated aggregated analyzed etc then you can abstract key learnings that this that a set of customers are unhappy or are having a problem because of the following reasons those reasons could either be the way the product is designed it could be the way the product is downloaded the way it is integrates with my existing system and a bunch of things so that understanding will come from those who are in charge of the product understand and that flows back into engineering such that they are now able to produce a systemic solution to the problem being faced by customers yeah hence it becomes very important to have a process in place where you're actively listening to your customers and that is filtered to the right channels in the within the organization and right people get to see the feedback so that feedback loop, loop is complete absolutely now going to the next stage of a startup right they were they going moving from a growth phase to a scale and scale typically implies that they are either entering a new geography like you know a new country or a new segment or they can also start looking at new products that they can bring in so that they can sell to their existing customers now let us take the first uh, option of when you want to scale uh, in different geography but that will throw in a lot of challenges because your whole mindset of marketing and sales will become very different because when you move from one geography to another geography it becomes very very different whether how you reach out to what how do you reach out to your customers your customer behavior whole bunch of things changes so how will an organization go to this transition and and what should they be concerned about when they are moving from the growth to the scale where they are expanding into new markets so if you recollect what i said earlier i said you need to look at adjacencies not something that's orthogonal to your current offering so when you look at adjacencies what are the key transferables from your existing state that is what is the customer attribute which means size kind of business buying process do they have the budgets etc etc right that becomes important second is what are the sales and marketing attributes are those transferable what are those what what are the elements that are transferable the thing that will vary if you have done the homework right is only in the communication language and means everything else is relatively constant and that is where the smart product marketer as opposed to the manager comes into play so if i have done something let's say an hr 
software and I've now targeted a customer in India and now I want to say I want to expand how would I choose which markets to go after am I going to wake up and say you know what I think Iceland's the great market for me or is it going to be Brazil or is it going to be China or Japan what is that decision making process so I have to choose markets that are similar in regard to uh, attributes to my existing uh, offering right then I look at the customer, then I look at my marketing messaging, my sales, etc., and then choose adjacencies. I may then, so that is one path. The second is I may choose to do something entirely orthogonal and say, you know what, I've been selling into India. Let me do one thing. Now let me go and jump into Germany. Now all of a sudden, everything is now a variable, whether it is the understanding of the market, the buying behavior of my customer, the product definition itself, my means of communication, the language of communication, the infrastructure required to support customers, etc. Now that requires a lot of money, that requires bringing on board new people, all of it. But I only do that if I'm confident that Germany is the right market for me, right? So that is again a place where again, it's a marketing problem to define what is that new product for which customer in which market and therefore what ought to be the sales process and tools and techniques and communication language etc that fits that and that is a fairly uh, common occurrence when people suddenly because of the glamour value or because of certain excitement or because of not knowing enough to jump into a market that they think is far more lucrative than the market that they currently are in without doing the required homework so so the uh, basically the sermon here is make sure that you have invested enough in marketing before you go start investing in sales. That's right. right? Because if you invest in sales without understanding uh, these finer aspects of the market and the, the products and what the customers are looking for, then you know your investment in sales will go for a toss. One final question uh, before we end this conversation. You have been in this business. You have looked at startups for over what, two decades now. Some one or two examples of startups that you think have really done something very different and hence you have seen them you know, reach the scale that uh, you, you would be very happy with. So uh, let me just take a few examples. You know, um, a company that provides, let's say, uh, software to prevent uh, malware and bot attacks, um, you know, and initial target segment wasn't very clear. Product definition wasn't very clear. Uh, what markets to focus on also weren't clear. So initially, the company focused on opportunities in India, going after e-commerce sites, going after listings sites etc and somehow managed to get a few customers but customers were not paying enough and you found that your cost of sales was dramatically high which would make it extremely difficult to build a business because you required multiple meetings multiple follow-ups long sales cycles all of it but the amount that they were willing to pay for the solution wasn't going to justify Mm. the massive cost and uh, overheads in trying to do that but the offering that they had conceived of was something that was a major crying need outside of India, which meant that there were far more sophisticated users who were facing a major challenge with uh, uh, bots and malware and therefore were far were looking for solutions that could easily, seamlessly and at a relatively low price save them all the hassle of trying to deal with it. And hence, the entire focus shifted. Now the question was, what market, what kind of segment to go after? Should it be the large enterprise? 
business? Should it be the small and medium businesses, etc.? And there again, it was an experimentation and trial and error. So the trick is to be able to experiment at low cost. And I always say, you know, your cost of trial and your cost of failure have to be low, not just for you, but also for your customer, because your customer is trying you out for the first time. So they are taking a risk as well. So their cost of trial and their cost of failure have to be low. Your cost of trial and your cost of failure also have to be And that is independent of the product pricing. You know, that has a general rule anybody can use. So then, so then this company then said, you know what, I'm now going to look at going after the enterprise market because I'm finding that for me, that is this particular organization, the amount of time I'm taking to convert a small and medium business to becoming a customer is very, very comparable to what it's going to take a larger enterprise customer to also convert, right? And therefore, what was the segment? Is it in travel? Is it in financial services? Is it in healthcare? Is it in education? So all of that got filtered out through very rapid testing out and experimentation and making visits and meeting people, participating in events, all of those things. So that's why when you have this ability and the DNA to listen to what the market is saying, that is when you make the course correction. So today the company has focused on large medium enterprises as opposed to small and medium enterprises and is on a very very successful track because it's as we all know that uh, malware bot security is a big thing now and who's facing the heat it's not the small two-person restaurant with a website who's facing it it's essentially the enterprises Um, then is it those guys who have static content or those guys who are in transactions so there are multiple variations of how you think about your customer base right so that clearly is a very very interesting way uh, that company managed to uh, really build a very successful business so far so again so going back to our conversation the some of the key things they have done then is market understanding uh, very well and then pricing of the product and seeing which segment is willing to pay and going after them and then also understanding which market is going to pay which geography is going to pay for this product that's right and the important thing is this right being constantly in communication with the market so that you get the right kind of feedback that enables you to reorient your strategy reorient the product definition, reorient your messaging, reorient the way in which you create your inside sales team, all of those things. So I think Sanjay, thanks a lot for your time. We have tried to cover a very wide area. Both sales and marketing are by, you know, they're religion by themselves, but we have tried to cover them in such a short period. And, you know, your insights are will be very helpful to many entrepreneurs and startups who are trying to build successful companies. And again, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you for listening to the ID Spring Capital podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at IdeaSpringCap. That is IdeaSpringCap. This podcast was recorded by Skapari, your complete digital marketing agency.